0: Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Nick Inglis, founder of InfoGov.net and Director of Information Governance at IPRO on the topic of information governance in the modern workplace. Another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture. I love the cultural side, Nick. It's, it's my nice. favorite. Nice. So, my guest today is Nick Inglis, founder of Infogov.net and director of information governance at iPro. He is a longtime community leader in the information governance space, including his previous roles with both Arma International and AIM International. You did some other stuff in between there, but uh, oh yeah, yeah. But we're this is a shock to everyone here. I've got Nick on. The topic today is information governance.
1: It's amazing. Yeah. I, I'm I am not capable. of it's a talking about anything else. It's <laughs>
0: that's true. That's true. That's all I know. It's like it, you could be a bot,
1: Nick. For well, all I, I know. Yeah, I've been clanging this bell for quite some time now. I mean, back. I mean, I got to know you back when I was clanging the bell of SharePoint governance, and you know, which eventually... I'm still battling that
0: way. In fact, I did. I do a governance. I don't think there's a week that's gone by where I'm not writing a blog post or article or something on governance. I'm still, you know, I'm
1: still preaching the good word. microsoft is still solving problems while they create problems and no no, it's nick nick (laughs) it's not it's they're
0: opportunities opportunities creating problems they're creating opportunities for partners and mbps and experts out there
1: exactly so there are still plenty of opportunities in the governance space so it's but i've taken it up one level from the sharepoint world and into overarching governance across organizations so i haven't gotten to see you at as many events as uh, i used to when we were both living in in sharepoint world all the time
0: yeah, well the last time i saw you so i went out and keynoted for the arma conference and that you yes. were one of the organizers of that event and you know it was a great event it was my first was time in nashville by the way
1: that was your first time in nashville and what I a fun city
0: and i didn't get outside to see the city
1: because, oh,
0: because i was in that massive you're so busy no well that oh the like Gaylord. Lord. oh yeah, yeah, yeah the Gaylord. i mean it it could have its own like orbiting satellites it's so yeah. big it's,
1: it's a never labyrinth outside right it's a labyrinth as well it's like you're going through you know a, a, a hedge maze and eventually you find yourself back where you started never finding the exits to uh unless you're looking to check out in which right. case the, they're done with you go make
0: it, make it very <laughs> easy no it, yeah no, i i did like in between like wandered a bit just exploring looking and finding things so it's just it's massive so it's, it, it's one of it those is. things where you could have multiple conferences going on and you'd have no idea and so you yeah have
1: to, yeah and there were there were probably four conferences going on while we were there and i mean it was it was as though we were uh, isolated in our own little section of the the area but what a what a great place to hold a conference though
0: it it was because it has everything again you don't need to yeah. go outside and therefore i didn't so i got yeah. an uber from the airport and an uber back to the airport
1: and the amenities were wonderful there too yeah. but yeah. it's a yeah, fun place you know what,
0: what i love about doing events like that where it's not a you know, my my world has largely been the Microsoft ecosystem and the SharePoint yeah. world and stuff. Is that doing more and more of these events where that are not focused on that one technology platform, and getting those other perspectives? Now, of course, yeah. my background you, you probably remember. It's like I, I spent half of my thirty year career doing non Microsoft technologies. I, in fact, I wrote three books over on the IBM stack. I was gonna say
1: there there's a whole career you had before you entered the Microsoft space.
0: I just interviewed somebody around like the DevOps space. And yeah. uh, well, actually somebody, you know, I just uh, did an interview with, uh, Mark, with Mark Miller. Oh yeah, I haven't seen and Mark in a while, but I, I love that guy. He's yeah. great. So we're talking about like his, you know, moving over to the DevOps space. I said, that's kind yeah. of where I came from. I went from <laughs> what is we're now calling the DevOps. You know, So I did, you know, worked on software configuration management and, and, and building PMOs, project management organizations. Anyway, that's how I found my way into SharePoint. and into that space and you know but these principles around governance so i was i i my first governance team that i ran for a shared services organization inside of pacific bell i actually worked for a shared services org called pacific telsis shared services or ptss because you have to have an acronym
1: right that is quite the mouthful because i mean you have to have the acronym because no one wants to say that all day long
0: But that was still back in the three ring binder days. So that for me, that was the the mid 90s. But that was my first experience of reading about and learning about corporate governance, IT governance, and actually running healthy change management, you know, uh, uh, efforts
1: within a large enterprise. Yeah. And it was, it wasn't until, you know, years later when we started to realize, hey, there seems to be still a governance gap that's occurring between corporate governance and IT governance. And it's not it's not the, the organizational stance. That's within the corporate governance. And it's not the technology. That's within the IT governance. But it's the actual assets, the information that's going through those systems, how it's going to be organized, the policies around it from a records perspective, from an e-discovery perspective, from a privacy perspective. Getting all of that into a single organizational information perspective—that in a nutshell is what information governance is all about.
0: Well, I mean, what? Why are those there? Those gaps. I mean, there's so much content yeah. out there. I mean, the community—we're constantly talking about this. Why is it so gosh darn difficult for organizations to get this figured out? Like, so what is what is maybe maybe frame it for us? What
1: is the state of information governance? And yeah, the state you know, of wise? the state of information governance is is coming along quite nicely. So the first thing we need to know is we didn't start, you know, really diving in and building information governance as a concept until, you know, really 2008 to 2012. It was really growing in terms of the the underlying thoughts. Um, So it's, that was just a handful of people maybe 50 100 worldwide at that point that were just talking about this concept and then it it really just has grown from there now there are you know hundreds of thousands of people with information governance in their job titles around the world um, it's a true profession now so it 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 has been it has grown uh really in response to the growing needs of organizations as they deal with the greater and ever greater influx of information into organizations. You know, there as, as more and more information is flowing into organizations, organizations are are struggling more and more to figure out how to even know what they have at a basic, yeah. at, at a most basic level. You know, that's actually
0: knowing what you have was a key aspect of my early days experience yeah. with governance because of the cost of storage and the performance oh. of those tools to be able to access that, that content. We were yeah. constantly, because my half of my life was, so I started in the data warehousing, data mart world of, yeah. of going, figuring out, what are you really trying to accomplish? What do you need? And let's provide, that's a massive amount of data Let's give you a subset so that it's a more performant solution that you can actually run a report, go to lunch for an hour, come back, (laughs) see the results there and that you're, you're more likely. Right. Right. Hope that that you have results in an hour. Because back then it
1: was like half the time the reports would fail out in the middle of them. (laughs) Right. Or, or you get back and then realize it's not what
0: you were looking for or it's missing that key data. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's funny. When I, when I talk about like my internal at the phone company, my internal customers, there were a couple dozen. This, it's a phone company. It was all of California yeah. and Nevada. You know, Pacific Bell, all of that That, that, that at the time, they got acquired yeah. by – I was there at the acquisition by Southwestern Bell. Then they bought AT&T, and and they are now under, all under the at and brand. But yeah. essentially, the, the, the Texas group, the Southwestern Bell that bought up the world. I yeah. uh, bought Ameritech in Chicago and Southern New England Telephone in Connecticut and all that. Anyway. Yada, yada. All the bells. Right. So, uh, yeah, all our base are us, all, all your base, yeah. are us, whatever the phrase, yeah, all, so, the,
1: all the post breakup of the Ma bells, you know, they so eventually came that, back together.
0: It was so much of my time was exactly that. Like what are you trying to achieve yeah. with this and let's go and give you the cleanest, smallest subset of the data that's needed to, so that you can then go in there and pull the information out
1: on a regular basis. Well, that's exactly it, and we're still wrestling with that same challenge, but we're doing it with different approaches now, and we're doing it in with approaches that cross disciplinary boundaries on a greater basis today. So, you know, early on, the people that were, uh, you know, coming to the 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 information governance conversation. Who had a seat at the table were some technologists you know when i would go to the sharepoint saturday events there'd be one or two of us talking about governance and then you know a handful of people like yourself and joel Ollison and you know a handful of other great people in the sharepoint community who got what i was talking about and understood the importance but at times it felt like i was you know an evangelist in the desert, uh, shouting uh, my my crazy prophecies that have all since you know come to 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 become more important than they I think they were perceived to be back when we started the conversations. Well,
0: I think that my impression of a lot of the governance discussions it's not that it's not important. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it, uh, well, Let me clarify that it's not important to the the engineering side the pure tech you know those folks and a lot of uh, what i was going to just say is like so early early on pre-cloud build out so much of these types of events and it's not just like i i was in the you know as i said the ibm the rational technology space prior to that and data warehousing part of that um and, and so it was wasn't about microsoft microsoft was just another vendor that was in the mix in there but um so much of the discussion was around just keeping the servers running. Yeah. Keeping that stuff up. And so we didn't have the luxury. Yeah, exactly. The, of talking <laughs> about, well, what are we actually doing with the data and are we using it the right way? Yeah. Um, and then you had other things as we, and we'll kind of come back to that in the cloud, yeah. the impacts of the cloud on governance. Um, but then you also have as uh as we you know the the cost of storage dropping down dramatically yeah. and so it got less to be like we don't have to worry so much about hey we're only saving what's essential here exactly. now it's like we're saving everything it's re- it's a different yeah. problem
1: yeah and it's it's creating a whole different problem set especially with the shift to work from home where everybody had the team's license already built into their office offering for their i mean their you know, everybody had their E3 and their E5 license that had teams built into it. So a lot of them just installed it and put it out into the organization in those early weeks of the pandemic without a lot of thought or regard for what the impact of that decision was going to be. And I feel like We've had this conversation before, haven't we? Of course. But, you, you know, <laughs> I, and, I, and so some of the context around that too
0: is that, you know, we've always, always been, I know we've had this conversation. We've always been advocates for piloting, pilot, yes. whatever it is that you're working in, pilot that. One of the mistakes, the primary mistakes made when a yeah. company is piloting technology is they do the pilot against a useless project because yep. they don't
1: want to interrupt business. And and then then
0: you never excuse the results.
1: You never learn from it. Right. You never know what your organization is actually going to do. And what your organization is actually going to do is they're going to save the chats from their meetings and they're not going to realize that they're recording and recordings are going to end up in shared spaces that are completely unmanaged huge files, and they're going to share their their files without realizing that it's also uploading that into OneDrive. You know, there are all of these implications of rolling out Teams into organizations. That now, now those same IT people that rolled it out are loathing the cleanup process. Um, so they're bringing in a whole, you know, it's it, uh, information governance has become a lucrative area very rapidly.
0: There's a reason reason why every, every SI, every consulting company, like every friend that I have in there, like they've been slammed. Like they're just, they never saw a decrease in in business around it. But I was going to make, just make this like, there are two times where we have, uh, you know, where the world has, uh, or ways that in which the world at at large is, you know, can, uh, impact this kind of change. So we, the pandemic, of course, was the world's largest uh, group shared experience yeah. around piloting, you know, technology. The other one is when you have a security breach. That's yeah. when you really uh, see where
1: the mistakes are, are
0: made. So
1: here's a question. So it's yeah. also, in, in addition to security breaches, it's also litigation and e-discovery. And that's that's where, why I'm at my current employer, you know, I'm at iPro and they are an e-discovery vendor seeing the benefit for their clients in the information governance realm. Because if you clean up the information up front and do the work proactively, e-discovery becomes a lot easier and less onerous and costly. Well, that's a rapidly growing
0: area around the you know, e yeah. discovery that opportunity around kind of the, the the legal focus of information governance and how it's expanding in. Because you know, again, there are companies that are out there that are experts. If you've experienced a breach, one of the first things you do is you go to you work with a company that is you know has experience with yeah. companies that have gone through that. And what do I need? I need to do a complete audit of, of my systems, of my practices of roles and permissions, all those things, which we can say till, as we have till we're blue in the face of, Hey, these are, should be part of your upfront planning. Listen to the people who have been through it before. It was like, but that takes time. That costs money. That's a lot of effort. We'll deal with that when we, when we come to it.
1: And at IPRO, so we end up working, I end up working a lot with the partner community. So it's, you know, the, the I'm not, I can't say their names, um, but a lot of organizations that do post-cyber incident uh, cleanup, understanding, analysis, and recovery work. They use our software to do that because if you're doing information governance, work. It's pretty easy to use that same type of technology to do cyber investigations. Um, And it's easy to do that, you know, after a cyber investigation is, you know, uh, let's not have this happen again. Let's learn the lessons and then apply and, you know, do information governance the right way on a day one forward basis. You know, we can look at the past and see bad practices. Most most organizations don't have the capacity to look backwards and solve those past bad practices. Yeah. So you really have to just look forward and do the right things today so that by the time you've you know, removed all the old data and you've moved beyond that, you're doing things right in a pr- Proactive basis going forward.
0: You know, the 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 hope is always that you can mitigate. So even if you realize you're working in an organization where they're not listening, they won't want to take on the the, the cost of going and, and doing a holistic review and analysis yeah. and doing all the kinds of the right things. And so there are ways that you can mitigate, you know, as you get into the granularity of this your solution, in different areas, things that you can do. And your hope is just that if there is a breach, if there's something that's out there that you know, we, you've mitigated as much as you could that you can minimize what that cost is. Yeah. The reality is there's data that's out there around this around on the security side. I know that's a little bit off topic, but uh, the, the fact that the, you know, the, the dollar cost per employee yeah. impact is like 10x to small to midsize companies than it is for the larger yeah. enterprises because they have other protections in place. I've shared before that. So I had two clients the last couple of years that had um, the ransomware um, security Uh, issues. One of them that said, you know, screw it. We lost, you know, some data and some things are out there, but they were not paying it. And we just kind of went and rebuilt and restructured. The other one was they end up paying it because they, they, it was a, a known issue they were in the process of redesigning and fixing it and they got
1: hit they got hit right man. at the
0: worst time oh. and uh and so they had to, to pay that you know so having like seen both sides of that and had conversations like what they went in there and and yeah and so yeah that's where again it a lot of times that's all you can do in an organization is just is mitigate and be prepared yeah. and here's what like because. No one wants to pay the bill of what it costs to take the time
1: to go yeah. and do the, the right, take the right steps up front. And, and reduce the, the risk threshold by reducing the surface attack area, or you know, instead of just going surface attack area as a whole, start to identify potentially risky information. The obvious one here is PII, personally identifiable information. So at IPRO, this is something that I, I'm constantly talking about because, again, working with post-security teams, this is something that they just are, are doing a, a lot of work around is you know go in, do a PII assessment, understand what personally identifiable information is available on the organization's uh, systems, and then you know mitigate that risk in whatever that risk mitigation strategy would be the, then the next step is automating that process with the rules from the project so that you know it used to be that we would just do these PII and privacy type projects every couple of years we'd find it we'd mitigate the risk and we like now fire, we have tools. So like a fire drill yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. exactly it was like shredding days, except we'd have privacy days. That's and right. now yeah. now we have tools that can just do this on an automated basis. and that's that's been a lot of my work at ipro lately.
0: yeah, but a lot of that too. I mean, even if you have, are we too overly reliant on those tools and if we're not having that 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 level of conversation? Because huh. in my experience, a healthy governance body, has somebody at the table that represents that perspective and ask those questions about everything that we're doing, whether it's making a change, bringing a new tool in, shutting down, retiring an old one, reorganizing part of the business, constantly going in there. And then also keeping up, keeping up with what's happening out industry wide to say like, Hey, we've not really approached. We've not thought about this or there's changes that are happening. Part of our business, we're working with Europe. Hey, there's similar Standards that are being brought talked about in on the African subcontinent over in Australia. How does that impact the what we've put in place? It's a it's a it's a moving target. It's yeah. not like, like I don't. Well, you don't have the luxury of looking at it
1: once or twice a year. No, and it's it's grown so in importance so much over the the years. The privacy discussion is not incredibly important. And when I get to work with an organization that is privacy conscious, you know that is it, that has the chief privacy officer and is thinking about these things, that's like the ideal because then it, you're just scanning for messaging people. You know, hey, it looks like you accidentally uploaded something with PII and it becomes a, a teachable moment as opposed to punitive. Um, but most of the time what we're doing is going through large troves of information, to find the, the potentially problematic PII. And yeah, that's that type of work, it just is so onerous to do with humans at this point that it's just probably not even possible without incredible cost to throw some technology at it. You know, so just something as an
0: aside, and the timing of when this the podcast goes live, but uh, the November thirtieth, twenty twenty one episode of the Collab Talk Tweet Jam, which by the way, so I know you were there at the beginning. We're about to have our ten year anniversary in January of that. Ten years, I know. I know. That's incredible. Yeah. So, but the topic... I'll I'll have to November thirtieth for you. Well, you need to join the the, this one anyway. But is the uh, it's on making collaboration secure. So it's i mean it's an important topic i think we're going to get the uh, the information governance side of it the systems the security Brilliant. side of it so it's going to be the full spectrum that we'll kind of address around that but that sounds be, awesome fascinating but that said for anybody that's uh, listening to the podcast if you go and do a search so i do these monthly tweet jams so they're twitter-based yeah. community conversations anybody can get involved all you need to know is the time and day And so this one, November 30th, you know, it's generally the second half of the month. But if you go out on Twitter and search on the hashtag collab talk, you'll see a lot of the the dialogue going on there. And it's We ask seven questions and then we wait for the responses. And one of the things that I love about this, like on a topic like this, is so many different perspectives, so many stories, links to other resources, to methodologies, approaches for Mitigating some of these risks, things that are out there, it's just going to be a treasure trove of best practices and well, I guess what's the, what's the and new ideas, best mistakes not to make, you know? yeah, the things <laughs> to avoid, right?
1: Yeah, you hear a lot of war stories as as you, folks are chatting there.
0: You do, but uh, yeah, no, I mean it's an important topic. I know that there's, um, you know, what is the state of from a, a government perspective, like what we're yeah. doing. You have GDPR in in Europe. Like I'm familiar personally, like South Africa p- yeah. prior to COVID was working on something. I'm not sure how things have slowed down. Um, you know, our, Australia it was working on a standard, other countries, other regions coming up with similar standards around the usage of PII and, and yeah. other core data. What's happening in the U.S.?
1: <laughs> exactly. What is happening in the US? That, <laughs> no, I was so you, asking the question, but yeah. <laughs> I didn't want you to laugh so... and throw it off. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, we've it, it used to be, you know, 10 years ago, we used to look at the the standards that existed across the world. And it was, you know, America was a shining beacon with Canada right on our our tail And Europe was lagging far behind, except for maybe Germany. Um, And now uh, America is the cobbler's children, where our states are trying to jump in and provide some protection for uh, uh, Americans around PII and privacy to catch up with our counterparts around the world. Frankly, we we are sorely behind the rest of the world in terms of... Um, uh, understanding how organizations process and and monetize our personal information and making sure that it's being done in in ways that we consent to and are ethical and i mean look at nick i look at it very different i think what we're doing
0: as americans is we're providing opportunities for hackers around the world to (laughs) to become independently wealthy and successful so i mean we're, we're doing really, great
1: at that that <laughs> <laughs> that we have had a lot we're of supporting the <laughs>
0: global economy is what i'm saying that come on we are come <laughs> <Yeah>. on man <laughs>
1: the global oligarchy yeah. uh yeah no we are definitely supporting the the bad actors that uh, the cyber criminals i had a question up on twitter about a month ago what do we call these people and everybody had all sorts of fun answers on that one I'll, I'll have to dig that up and and repost it after we we post this podcast um but you know the, they've been winning largely over the past decade uh they've been making terrific advancements and our companies haven't the organizations have not had a financial incentive to protect the information that they have been given by consumers. Um, And so, you know, you see a a wide degree, uh, a wide array of information handling capabilities, information protection capabilities of organizations around the world. So you don't know if you're handing your personal information to a company, what that company is truly going to do with it. Mind you, we've made some great advancements because of Europe and because of American companies doing business with European residents, you know, our privacy. It to go back and look at those things, right. Exactly, exactly. So that we can comply with their regulations, which has really just been a complete flip on the way things have really operated in the post-World War II information era. Once again, though, I think
0: Nick, you're ignoring one of the positive outcomes of our lab By being a negative
1: Nelly again.
0: No, it's it's just like, <laughs> Joe,
1: you've
0: we're also we've have incredibly entertaining videos by Mark Rober and other people out there with the glitter bomb. The that's, that's true. Out there, if we solved these information governance issues, <laughs> what would YouTube be like today with all these these anti scammer
1: videos and stuff, which are highly entertaining. I think there'll still be the Porch Pirates. So we'll still have, That's true. That's true. we'll still have that form of entertainment going forward. Um, so at least that we can hold and cherish that. Well, you know, so my,
0: <laughs> my experience uh, like, so I, so I, in fact, my, when I did my first deployment of SharePoint, uh, so yeah. back in 2004, 2005, working with a company, I did the whole uh, for a year I, where I was flying out Monday morning, flying home Friday evening. Yeah. Which sucks, by the way. That is not fun when you have small children as well. It just, yeah. It's just awful. But anyway, um, so I did that for almost a year, but working with this company. But part of it was doing, uh, was helping with internal processes around um, PII and specifically credit card information in the yeah. accounting department. So much so that we put, like, I, so I was actually working with a third party company in the, and in auditing their practices and reviewing and, and reporting back to the uh, eg- yeah. executive team, and then actually enforcing that. And I did spot checks. I did like walking through, and people got fired instantly. Got walked
1: out for yeah. breaking the rules that everybody was just trained on. So, yeah, this the, you're you're making the a, a great point here. There was a financial incentive to protect credit card information, Those and therefore. Are Right. Early right. 2000s, you know, you have operations and an apparatus to protect credit card information, but just credit card information, not your social security number, not your date of birth, your home yeah, address. We did that, but you know that it was part of those policies, but yeah, yeah but the but but there's no reg, there's there was a regulation vacuum in that space where we were just sort of hoping, you know, minimal regulation in in that space. And just hoping that companies would do the right thing and guess what some companies don't um so this is actually ties in with a a lot of the work that i've been doing with my other work at infogov.net what we're doing is building up lobbying um, so that we can influence regulation in this space so that america in particular and we can catch up with the rest of the world and then surpass in terms of our information capabilities as a country and the regulation and ways that we protect and safeguard information. Because right now, what we have is not working.
0: You know, I, so that's I a little bit of experience with going in and doing some technology-based lobbying. So back in yeah. the late 90s, early 2000s, I was part of a... Uh, of a pack a group called uh, lead 21 out of the san francisco uh, bay area where we were it was a very you know neutral uh, you know uh, technology specific um but apolitical more on the libertarian side so we were legitimately apolitical yeah um, but going and trying to, to make a difference and so i actually did one of the trips to dc and we went and met with Various congressmen. Only yeah. one that we met with um, got wrapped up in a sex scandal. It was the I think yeah. like a Republican senator out of Nevada or something at the time. Mm-hmm. I, I have to go and do the check because I think since then, I, one or two more that we met with on either side wrapped up in something. But anyway, besides well, the point, that's just pure entertainment factor that I brought that, that story. <laughs> but uh, so with all those meetings was how, uh, you know, how painfully slow and it was. And I don't know that we really made any progress, you know, like those efforts. So, I mean, how how do you feel like, like you're going to be able to make a change and get more attention spent on this important topic?
1: Yeah, I think I think there is an ever-growing awareness of the challenge, in the very least. The there's Just why you there's, need lobbying. What you yeah.
0: need it's an important aspect of that, but yeah.
1: Absolutely. And you know, as as an, an independent entity doing lobbying, the goal here is to represent the broad interests of the profession. Mind you, there have been some lobbying that has been. Taking place on our behalf, and a lot of credit has to go to the the large companies in our space, like Microsoft, Oracle, SAP. All of them are doing their their own lobbying, and we've all been benefiting from that by and large. Um, but the goals here are to make sure that this isn't you know when we get federal privacy legislation, federal legislation around safeguarding information um, that is meaningful that it, it won't just represent the interests of the ultra-large corporations, but it'll also represent the small, independent, mids, up to mid-size and mid to, mid-large mid uh, vendors in the space that are building solutions. And uh, you know, regulation needs to ensure that it also doesn't stifle innovation. Right. Uh, and there's a lot of innovation that happens in the information space and Regulation has to be even handed in that regard. Yeah. Um, you know, an end state that I would love to see is an overall rating available um, so that you'd be able to know a company's capabilities around information handling before or you know, when they're asking you for information, there's an independent grading or rating of their information capabilities so that you know the safety level and the, the amount of trust that you should be granting to that company as you're handing over your personal information.
0: Hey Nick, I'd love to talk a bit more about these lobbying efforts. I'm getting some sound degradation, but since we're right at the end, uh, I think we could push through. Uh, so one last comment is that we we, uh, we seem to only hear about the lobbying being done by the big tech companies. But people seem, at least it's my perception, just people are getting more involved. They seem to be, coming, be becoming more aware of these lobbying efforts, which is a good thing. Uh, but people need to know uh, what's being advocated, certainly in their names, But also, uh, you know, collectively to make our voices make sure that our voices are being heard, and that's an important part of how lobbying should work.
1: I'm thankful that we've had the large companies doing lobbying, but what we need to have is, you know, a a broad, uh, broad representation there of both uh, software and consumer, um, and really, an ideal state would be. Uh, an option, a program whereby as you were, a company was asking you for your personal information, there'd be some sort of independent rating of their information safety capabilities so that you would know, uh, at least at a high level, the amount of trust that you should be placing. Um, I'd love to see that as a, a great regulatory outcome someday in the future.
0: Yeah, that I mean, it should be easier, and then and then you could also then you know filter your communications, and you know if there's, uh, you know, a company that doesn't have the rating or doesn't have the, like that coding embedding within their communication channels, that you just don't allow that traffic through. I mean, there's you know that that idea too is that hey, I want to, you know, or that we could just treat anyone that yeah. doesn't have that rating differently and have other protocols in place. Yeah, I mean, I there. Yeah, there's got to be something there. I mean, all all I know is that we we I think I think
1: all of these are potentials
0: It's great having you. And I know there's a lot more we could talk, go in depth on this topic, but, uh, you know, that's we'll we'll have to uh, come back and and, uh, dive into another aspect of this topic at another time, but really appreciate you being here. Christian,
1: it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. And thanks for inviting me on it. It it means the world to be able to share this with you. And it's great seeing you again, my friend. Hey, Nick, it was great catching up. We'll talk soon. (laughs) Much respect. All right. I'll
0: talk to you later. Talk soon, Christian. Bye. You've been listening to the Collab Talk podcast. New episodes are published every Friday, And you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and most other podcast services. Thanks for listening.
1: Hungry for more great content? You have to check out the Shift Happens podcast. I'm your host, Dux Raymond Side, Chief Brand Officer at AppPoint. And I sit down to chat with top business leaders and IT professionals about their most challenging modern workplace projects. Tune in to hear real-life advice from industry peers on making plans and pivots, casual conversations exploring the latest trends in collaborative Microsoft 365 technology, and easy actionable strategies to make organizational change happen. Subscribe to the Shift Happens podcast today, available on all major platforms. Can't wait to see you there.
0: Shift Happens Podcast.